another edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we've got another great episode coming for you today. The sound quality may immediately tell you Sam and I have been reunited thanks to some negative COVID-19 tests that have come out. Real sigh of relief. Big sigh of relief. So today we're going to briefly bring you up to speed on what's happened over the last week in uh, Major League Baseball's negotiations to resume play. We're going to talk about the draft, which is actually going on right now as we speak. Yeah, tonight is draft night, which is a very exciting night in baseball. And because it is draft night, we are going to be honoring the history of the MLB draft by doing a redraft of the 2010 draft for you guys tonight. So that will be our our final segment. And in between, we'll be doing a stat corner where we talk about a pitching statistic called Sierra, which is sort of an even more predictive statistic than XFIP. So we'll, we'll give you some of the details of Sierra, but with that, let's get into what, well, is there is there anything else we need to remind our, our listeners of before we get into the details? Eric? We just need to remind our listeners that we love you, and thanks for listening. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Uh, if you want to hear about a stat or a specific topic or have an idea for us, something you'd like to hear, reach out to us on Twitter at the Alonzo Bet. Email us at thealonzobet at gmail.com. Um, and with that, we'll jump right into some news. So earlier in the week, uh, the owners came back with a counterproposal to the Players Association proposal that we spoke about last week. Um, So if you remember, the players wanted something like 114 games with full prorated salaries. The owners up to this point had been floating basically different ideas for number of games played and the ways that salaries were doled out, um, but remained pretty steadfast in only paying the players a certain lump sum of money to be distributed throughout all of the players. This new proposal actually does not deviate from that principle. They suggest a 75-game season with 75% of the prorated salaries. When you do the math, this is essentially the same amount of total money. That comes out to, as you guessed it, if you've been following following along with the rest of the negotiations, about 35% of the players' (laughs) typical salaries. So the MLB has now come to the MLB Players Association with three separate proposals that are basically all exactly the same. Well, Um, I will make the one distinction that the first proposal had the sliding pay scale reduction. That is the same amount of money, but it's fundamentally different than prorated salary. As as to who's getting them. That that is completely right, Aaron, but I guess the point is, is that MLB is acting like they're negotiating when really... They're just saying, this is how much money we're willing to pay you. And the other thing, too, don't forget that after last time, the owner said, we're not even going to come back with a counterproposal. This is the counterproposal that they said didn't exist. Yeah, and and I know you guys are all probably getting really tired of of hearing the back and forth in these negotiations. I think everyone is like, clearly the owners are in the wrong here. They clearly don't care about the game of baseball outside of it as being a vehicle for them making profits. They're not negotiating in good faith. In fact, I think the Cardinals owner, uh, Bill DeBoyt, came out a couple days ago and said, hey, owning a baseball team isn't even profitable. You know, he said, hey, it's not really a profitable endeavor. We're sort of just doing it. it it's just like... It's I, just like I'm complete, so sorry yeah. for you, Bill Wick. I'm yeah, sure you're worth it. I'm sorry that the team you bought is probably gone up in value by a billion dollars since you bought it. I I mean, it's really laughable the way the owners are are acting in reference to these negotiations. But then again, you know, I I am on the player's side, but I do think they need to realize that they, at this point, they don't have the leverage Mm -hmm. in the negotiations, so they need to start maybe 
you know, being willing to, to meet the owners in the middle. So the after the, the, the owners and the MLB came with this proposal, the Players Association basically countered immediately. And their initial proposal was, if you remember, 114 games pro-rated salary, full pro-rated salary. Now they're saying 89 games full pro-rated salary. And they're offering an expanded playoffs uh, for the next two years, not with seven teams per league, but eight teams per league. So we're literally talking about more than half the teams. Well, no, 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 no. That's they're offering a fourteen team expanded. No, no. This new proposal is is going up to sixteen teams for the next two years. Wow, that, okay. that the players are offering. So we're literally talking about more than half of the teams in the major leagues making the playoffs, which is honestly a complete joke. But if that's what it takes to get baseball, yeah, fine. Played, played these next two years, that's fine with me. Like, and it's a joke from the like from the standpoint of equity and, like, what's fair for teams. But don't lie. Like, I would still eat up a, a divisional series or a, you course, know, a wild yeah, card course, play true, yeah. between the White Sox and, um, you know, the Rays or something like that. Like, that would be – or the Red Sox even. That would be fun still. So. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, we've talked – we talked literally almost every week on this podcast right. about how the, the MLB playoffs are a crapshoot. But, you know, when you're actually watching the playoffs, like, There's you're, so not, you're not watching the games being like, oh, this is BS, this is a crapshoot. Yeah, right. You're watching the games being like, this is amazing, this is, yeah. these are some of the most tense sports moments that you can imagine. I just am eating this up right now. So Aaron's exactly right. Like, we obviously enjoy these games. I think it sort of removes some of the legitimacy from the sport, from the eventual champions, but that's fine if it, if it comes to the season. Now, after MLB Players Association countered the MLB proposal. Rob Manfred actually spoke publicly to the press today, and he basically said, we are going to make a counterproposal to the players. Uh, we're going to try to come closer to what they're asking for. He didn't really give any details yeah. as far as that's concerned. But he did basically make a guarantee, which is that baseball is going to happen in 2020. And how is he able to make this guarantee well, the agreement that the two parties, uh, the MLB's Players Association and the owners, signed about a month and a half ago now um, gave Rob Manfred the ability to unilaterally implement a season with prorated, full prorated salaries. Um, the owners believe that that was null and void as soon as it became clear that um, uh, fans were not allowed in the stands. And the Players Association feels that that agreement made the idea of full prorated salaries set in stone, that there is no negotiation on that point at this point. And that's the fundamental difference about where they're at right now. The places that they agree, before I go into what Manfred's solution would be, the places that they agree is that they will have extensive health and safety protocols. They agreed to large rosters, 30-man active and a 20-player taxi squad. Players and owners already agree on this. Um, they agree on a universal DH. Um, they agree on a regional schedule to reduce travel, so like the East plays the East, etc. Um, and they both have offered proposals with expanded playoffs. But this last point is important when we go into Manfred because Manfred can unilaterally impose this 42 or 48 to 52 game season, something like that. But what he can't do is unilaterally expand the playoffs. That's right. He can't yeah. unilaterally enact a universal DH. So the players are likely going to say okay to things like a DH and a larger uh, team. That's in their best interest, I believe. 
but the players would probably say no to expanded playoffs if Rob Manfred decides we're done with negotiations, the calendar's getting too late, we're going to play a Cause, season Because the players need a bargaining chip. Right. So, so they can't just let Manfred say, hey, we're going to go to 48 games, and we're also going to expand the playoffs. Like, right. Because that's exactly what the league wants. That's exactly what the owners want. They, they just want these playoff games because, as we talked about last week, this is where the money's made. Right. They care if they win the World Series yeah. because it's profitable and because some of them are, are real fans of their team. But they don't care about that nearly as much as they care about the way the owners cost share TV revenues, which would skyrocket with a 16-team playoff. So yeah, exactly. So you know, there you know, there's good news to be heard here, which is that the commissioner of baseball is guaranteeing you that baseball will be happening this year. So like, as a baseball fan, that's great news to me. I will say that you know, somehow hearing this doesn't you know, elicit a sense of excitement in me because, like, I'm so exhausted right. of, of these of these negotiations of the bad blood between both sides. And it's really, you know, elucidated for me, like, how evil these owners are, how, how little they care about the game. And, and it really makes me scared for the future of baseball, you know, not just this year, but the next collective bargaining agreement, the next 10 years of baseball. Right. Like, what is the direction of the league if the people in charge of it sort of seem so cavalier in dismantling the game. Exactly. I feel the exact same way, and I've talked about my disdain for Manfred in the past, but, it, you know, if he unilaterally implements a season, I'll be happy because there's baseball. But I think it's one of those situations where you are making a significant sacrifice in the long term for some short-term satisfaction because the negotiations for next CBA are getting uglier and uglier by the minute before they even start. So I'm concerned, um, but overall, this could be good news because we could be watching baseball soon. So um, with that, we're going to move into the draft, which has been going on right now. Um, and there have been a bunch of picks made already. But what we want to do is, is quickly look at the top 10 that have gone. Uh, these are the guys who you know, have consensus scouting grades and thoughts that these are uh, big-time future major leaguers. Of course, only, like, one of them statistically will be. But. Yeah, and, 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 and you'll see how much these things change when we do our, our redraft uh, of the, draft, of the yeah. 2010 draft. But, yeah, these are the top 10 guys. Also, you know, we're, we're, we're fans of the D-backs and Mets, so we're going to talk about their picks as well. We'll, they, we'll they, throw them in there. They go 18 and 19, but with that... Let's talk about, uh, you know, who goes in the top 10. So who's gone number one, Aaron? So number one was a first baseman out of my home state of Arizona. He's a Sun Devil from ASU. And uh, he went to the Tigers. They drafted him out. Uh, he played only first base at ASU, but the Tigers, oddly enough, suggested that they're announcing him as a third baseman. So um, they think he could play third base. Scouts seem to think he has some flexibility to play there. Uh, he'll be the only college right-handed first baseman ever to go number one overall, interestingly enough. I don't think you've mentioned his name yet, though. Oh, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's Spencer Torkelson, and that's a name you just can't forget because he's the torque dog. Um, grades out as a 65 power bat. Uh, remember, this is an 80-grade scale, so that's a massive power bat with a good 60-hit tool, a 50-field tool, um, and a 50-arm tool. So this is a guy who can pick the ball up pretty well and has really elite power and a good bat. Yeah, and I think he is viewed as sort of like type a can't-miss type prospect. I think people see him as major league ready kind mm -hmm. of right now. 
they see him as getting to the league really fast. I've seen people say that his floor is something like a Reese Hoskins type, right. which is, you know, a great outcome. That, that's a great floor to have. And they easily see him, you know, being a Pete Alonso type power back at first base. Uh, so, so Torgelson goes number one. I think that was no surprise to anyone. However, the second pick... Well, there were, I think, a bunch of guys that could have gone. Yeah, but I think as the draft... As the draft neared, people were, were sort of seeing yeah. Torkelson go, right. going to the Tigers. Uh, one, but but number two pick brought some surprise. The Orioles uh, selected Heston Kirstad, who is an elite left-handed power bat. He's in uh, he's an Arkansas uh, right fielder. But this is very much uh, an underslot pick. And for those who don't know what that is, there's a total draft pool. Uh, signing pool that each team has to sign their players and their set pool amounts for each pick. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes teams will use a strategy of purposefully picking sort of a worse player that they know they can sign for less. So later on in the draft, they can throw more money at the pick and maybe sign someone that's like a high school player that wants to go to college, but if you throw a big bonus at them, right, they'll, th- come. they'll come. So so this is an underslot pick by the Orioles. Uh, Kirstad was expected to go more around like the ten range, and this is largely as low as fifteen. Yeah, and, and this is largely because a lot of people have concerns that he could end up being like a DH type. Yeah, and uh, he's not exactly an imposing body to be a DH type. Yeah, so 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 this so the Orioles are going with an underslot strategy here at two. Uh, at three, the Marlins make what I consider to be a very bad pick, um, and they take Max Meyer out of the University of Minnesota. I don't say this because I believe Max Meyer's bad. He has both a fastball and a slider that grade out at 70. Those are absolutely nasty pitches. And if you're starting from that position, you have the opportunity to build a great pitcher. But the Marlins don't have a track record of building great pitchers with this organization that they have. Um, And even though he's got the best slider in the draft, he's probably the third or fourth best pitcher in the draft. And so the Marlins here, in my opinion, make a little bit of a boneheaded decision um, admittedly, I'm not a scout, and I only watch a middling amount of college baseball, so maybe I'm just wrong. But this strikes me as as a as a bungled opportunity. Yeah, and I, and I think where some of the concerns with Meyer are is that he's only six feet tall, and people think he might end up being a reliever because mm-hmm. he doesn't quite have the frame to be a starter. And he he relieved for a lot of his career at the University of Minnesota as yeah. well. Yeah, and so with the fourth pick, the Royals took Asa Lacy, a left-handed pitcher out of Texas A&M. This is a guy who, coming into the draft, a lot of people saw as arguably the best or second best pitcher in the draft, uh, and a lot of people thought he was going to end up going two or three. He has a great fastball-slider combo as well. The, there are some control concerns, but I think the Royals were excited to see him drop to mm-hmm. them at four. And then after that, the Blue Jays got what I consider to be an absolute steal right That's here. Right, yeah. They take uh, 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 wow. I keep calling him Aston Martin. I don't know why. They take Austin Martin. They announced him as a shortstop out of Vanderbilt, but he played six positions as a freshman, started at second base in 2019 before going over to third base. Um, And he's kind of a a Swiss Army knife type player. He can really play anywhere. But he's got a great hit tool, um, and he's just a really well-built, all-around player. He is drawing a lot of Dansby Swanson comps because they both are out of Andy. They have very similar profiles as hitters and fielders. Um, but similar to Dansby, 
a lot of scouts feel that Austin Martin could contribute, probably not this year, but maybe as soon as next year. Yeah, and I, I think most people saw him as like the consensus number two in the draft mm-hmm. behind Torkelson. So it was really surprising to see him drop to five, but I'm sure the Blue Jays were ecstatic. They're also thrilled because this positional versatility works really well for them. You know, yeah. They do have shortstop locked down. Third base is a big question mark. They don't know whether Vladdy Daddy Jr. is going to play there. Um, they got guys like Lourdes Gurriel who fly around all parts of the diamond, and they really mix and match well. So he's a great pick for them. Um, at six, one of my favorite guys got taken here. The Mariners grabbed Emerson Hancock out of Georgia. And this is a guy who's an absolute stud. Pro- probably would have gone first round last year before he priced himself out of the draft because he wanted to go to Georgia. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people saw him as a potential first overall. Uh, like going into the like the, after the 2019. Yes, after the 2019 season, yeah. um, because in the first half of 2019, my man surrendered eight runs in ten starts. He then had surgery and like fell off a little bit and started 2020 a little soft. But I think the Mariners are licking their lips to get him here because the small sample size of 2020 tells us nothing. The injury is able to explain away some of the dip in 2019. He's six foot four and he's got raw nasty stuff. Yeah, and then at, at number seven, uh, the Pirates took Nick Gonzalez, a shortstop out of New Mexico State. He put up absolutely insane video game type like college numbers. But one thing to note is that New Mexico State is a high altitude, high offense environment. He played in in the the WAC, which is is a weaker conference mm-hmm. than some of these better schools. So there is some question as to how how these stats are going to translate at the big leagues. But, I mean, his numbers in college were just absolutely insane. And he actually started as a walk-on, which is, yeah. which is crazy. Go from a walk-on to a, to a top-10 pick in the MLB draft. And I love a guy like this because, as you mentioned, he came as a walk-on. His numbers in high school are mind-boggling as well. But everyone was like, oh, he's from Tucson, Arizona. They're like, oh, you played in Tucson, which doesn't good competition, so we don't care. Then he went to New Mexico, and they're like, oh, you played in New Mexico. But then this last summer, he actually won the Cape Cod MVP, and everyone had to kind of be like, all right, maybe you're for real. This is a guy, to me, who's always had to prove himself and will work his ass off and be a great player. So I love this pick by the Pirates. And something to note so far, folks, is that every player, one through seven, has been a college player. Uh, Number eight, that changed. The Padres took Robert Hassel III, the first outfield, sorry, the first high school player of the draft. He's an outfielder. a lot see him as the best high school hit tool, chance to stick in center field. The question on him is, uh, is he going to sort of get power? Right. right now he's got a great hit tool. It's not just is he going to get power. Uh, the scouting report on him shows that he thinks he has power, and when he starts to muscle up and when he starts to try and hit for power, his hit tool, which is amazing, starts to suffer. So the question is, can he put his tools together in a way that is Major League Service? Yeah, and one thing to note here is that, so this is the eighth pick. He's the first high school player off the board. This is the latest that the first high school player has ever gone off the board in the MLB draft. And one thing, one question we have to ask is basically, did these shortened high school seasons because of the pandemic play a role in this? Like, were scouts and teams more like willing to trust college tape? more than high school tape, not getting out to see all these high school players. So that certainly could have played a role. But now we saw, you know, the high school players come off the board quick. So who went And with, with Robert Hassel breaking the seal, the Rockies go ahead and take another high school player, Zach Veen. My feeling is Veen definitely fell here due to what you were just describing. He is supposed to be an absolute stud. He's 6'4 with a left-handed swing that would make Ken Griffey proud. 
And my feeling is that they just couldn't trust four years of high school, really, enough to use a top five pick on him. But if they maybe seen, or sorry, three years of high school, but if they maybe seen that last senior year where he's a developed player and his full size, they might have felt differently. But I think the Rockies take a very high upside pick. Yeah, and, and you're seeing like Yelich and Bellinger comps for this guy. So like right. you're really talking about a high upside here. Uh, and then the, the final pick of the top 10 was back to a college pitcher. It was Reed Detmars out of Louisville. Left-handed pitcher goes to the Angels. And he's maybe seen as like the most polished pitcher in the draft, plus curveball, plus changeup. So he's a type of guy that could be in the league fast, has a really high floor, but he also, you know, only sits in the low nineties with his fastball. So we're maybe talking about a guy who has a bit of a limit on his ceiling, maybe not a frontline starter, but the type of high floor pitcher that's a good guy to have in your organization. Right. And I actually like this specifically for the Angels right now because they need pitching and they need it fast. And so if he can come up in two years or three years even and be a serviceable three or four, then this becomes an extremely valuable pick for them. This becomes a very good pick. Um, and so, yeah, he's not exciting. This is a very dull pick here. Um, but a lot of winning experience at Louisville. Um, getting a lot of comps to his fellow Louisville alum, Brendan McKay, but with noticeably less nasty stuff. And um, he can't hit either. And he doesn't <laughs> hit, yeah. Um, but so this is, an, uh, this is a kind of boring but good pick for the Angels. Um, that brings us down a couple slots here. That's the top 10. We do want to get into the D-backs and Mets because they picked. I'll start with the D-backs because they picked first. They took Duke pitcher Bryce Jarvis, uh, son of ex-big leaguer Kevin Jarvis, who is a 10-year journeyman. Um, this is a guy who last year in four starts threw one perfect game and flirted with another. He has improved every single year that he's been in college from throwing about 88 up to touching 97 in the last season. He added 40 or 30 pounds to himself and grew an inch, and he has been very, very good. I think the D-backs found some value here in a guy who went to an overlooked school and maybe didn't splash the crazy good numbers, but I think they've picked somebody here who has very good stuff and can come up and, again, contribute in the major league level um, in a shorter time frame than perhaps one of these and high school pitchers. perhaps have. most importantly, a pitcher that's regularly featured on Rob Friedman's pitching in That's right. Account. That's right. He's uh, got some absolutely nasty change-ups. So, so the Mets uh, went at a pick ex- right after the D-backs at 19. They went with a high school bat, Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, if you sort of heard about out of the Mets camp before the draft, they were looking for sort of a high upside out, uh, high school bat or a college arm. So they could trade him away for an aging <laughs> veteran. Uh, all right, let's go. <laughs> uh, uh, but basically, they, they ended up going with, with the high school bat. Some see him as the best defensive center fielder in the class, so a guy that, that can pick it in the outfield, something the Mets desperately need. They have not really focused on outfield defense in a long time. Um, the hit tool, you know, I think people think it's pretty good. They're not sure about the power, but, you know, you know, we'll, we'll see. The Mets have had a pretty good track record of, of developing high school bats, uh, in, in the outfield over the last few years. Brandon Nimmo, one example. Um, one fun fact about him is that his mom actually played the mom in the movie Little Big League. So, you know, baseball through and through in the blood. But with that, <laughs> with that, uh, you know, that's that's the MLB draft so far. It is it is currently ongoing. More people will will be drafted. We've mentioned in the past that that the draft is 
you know, different this year in that they're only going through five rounds instead of the normal 40. Uh, but with that, that's, that's what's happening in the MLB right now. And let's move into everyone's favorite segment, which is Stat Corner. So what are we going to be talking about today, Aaron? Today we are talking about Sierra. Sierra is an acronym for Skill Interactive Earned Run Average. This is another way that people have tried to quantify a pitcher's value independent of things they can't control. So up to this point, you may be thinking, wow, Sierra sounds a lot like FIP. Because they both start from the same premise. They start from the same premise that after the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, there's really not all that much he can do. And so FIP says what that means is that all that really counts are homers, Ks, and walks. And Sierra says, well, that's not granular enough. Sierra says, let's try and include balls that were put into play. And let's account for the fact that ground balls are less dangerous than fly balls. Um, which definitely are less dangerous than line drives. Then definitely less dangerous than line drives, although line drives don't come in here. Pop-ups, fl uh, fly balls, and ground balls all come in here, um, which inherently leaves line drives as the other outcome. But yeah. line drives don't factor directly into this formula. Um, now, Sam, I I'd like to get your feelings on Sierra because... I think that Sierra is trying to do something very interesting here, um, and obviously it has some correlation to a pitcher's performance. Like when you look at the Sierra leaderboard, um, it's not super surprising. But to me, they're trying to do something that can't really be done analytically. Yeah, well, so it's like sort of if you look at Sierra's formula, it's it's a bunch of numbers. It's it's not very obvious where these numbers are coming from, but really what the purpose of Sierra is, is trying to make a stat that is more predictive than something like XFIP. So what they've sort of done is done some fancy statistical regression and, and tried to find a way to have a stat that's more predictive than XFIP. And it is. It is slightly more predictive than, than XFIP. So they've succeeded in this fact. But the question is, like, is Sierra getting at something that much deeper in evaluating pitching performance than FIP and XFIP are, that I'm not so sure about, but I think it's maybe worth talking about the ways in which Sierra is slightly different than, than, than FIP and XFIP, uh, and, and these are the ways that it is. Uh, one is that Sierra sort of evaluates strikeouts as even slightly better than FIP, and the reason for that is that high strikeout pitchers generally generate weaker contact, which means they're, they're going to allow fewer hits. Mm -hmm. Uh, the second thing Sierra says is that walks are bad, but they're sort of not linearly bad, like FIP uh, assumes. So if you walk people, if you don't walk that many people, it's less bad to walk someone because you're less likely to walk someone on the next batter. So you're more likely to sort of not put more people on base after the walk. So so this is something where Sierra is evaluating walks on a slightly more nuanced way than, than FIP and XFIP because FIP and XFIP give you the same penalty for every walk, whereas Sierra penalizes pitchers that walk more like, eh, like more. And then finally, it actually does try to take into account balls in play. So it's sort of trying to give some compromise between FIP and XFIP and uh, – than like ERA. So some compromise between sort of like fan graphs war and baseball reference mm -hmm. war. And basically what it finds is that, you know, ground balls go for hits more often, but they're also not going to ever be a home run like a fly ball. And they also find that 
pitchers that generate more ground balls also generally get more outs on those ground balls. So if you are a ground ball pitcher, you're also typically generating ground ball, like more weekly hit ground balls. Right. Um, and, and, and similarly, if you're a fly ball pitcher, you generally have a lower home run to fly ball rate. So if you're generating a lot of fly balls, you're typically better at keeping the ball in the park than someone who doesn't generate a lot of fly balls. And per, I think- per fly ball, not in general, because obviously, you know, even if, even if someone, you know, even if the home run per fly ball rate for someone who gets 60% ground balls is higher, they're still going to give up less home runs because they simply have less right. fly balls. And subsequently, like, the XFIP leaders are Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer. The Sierra leaders are also Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer. Three and four are flipped in the two lists, but it, it's very similar. Yeah. But what really irks me, Sam, from just, like, a statistics standpoint, and I don't want to get too far into this, but the way they put this together is, like, it's cubic, it's not linear, and it looks their, – their coefficients are so detailed and arbitrary that it just looks like they took a bunch of data points and were like, okay – uh, let's just fit a line to it and see what looks best. And we don't have enough data points to do that type of regression modeling, I believe, with some of this data. So um, I am, I'm skeptical of Sierra, but I do think it could give you a very good idea um, of how much a pitcher might be affected by balls in play if you compare FIP and XFIP with Sierra. Yeah, and I think, I think Sierra is – I think the deeper point that Sierra is getting at, which is basically – FIP and XFIP assume that pitchers have no control over the type of contact they allow, and that seems to be intuitively wrong. Maybe they don't have that much control, but they obviously have some control, and you see pitchers who constantly like are outliers compared to their FIP and XFIP, mm-hmm. like Clayton Kershaw is a good example. Now, I think StatCast data is maybe allowing us to move fur- push further on that front. We talked about expected WOBA for hitters, when we talked about uh, when we did our Statcast primer, but you can also calculate the expected WA OBA allowed by pitchers, and this sort of takes into account the type of contact they're allowing. But by able, by being able to sort of predict the prop the you know the the probability of each hit that a pitcher allows and what type of outcomes it's going to have, I think looking at it, something like expected WOBA for pitchers is going to sort of take this concept of Sierra and measure it in a better way. Exactly. And I would even go as far as to say that if I only get to look at one metric for how a pitcher performed, I think XWOBA allowed is probably the single best metric to encapsulate how hitters hit a pitcher in a previous year. Um, But with that, you know, we're going to leave you with just some thoughts about Sierra, if you disagree or if you want to hear something different from us, um, please let us know. Uh, we love to hear from you guys and kind of reflect your feelings about some of these stats in the show. So um, put the Sierra statistic in your toolbox when you're going to evaluate players, um, and we will be bringing you some more statistics next week. So with that, we're going to move into our final segment, which we believe will be very, very fun. In honor of the MLB draft tonight, we are going to redo, on the 10-year anniversary, we will be redoing the 2010 draft. Um, There were a number of studs in this draft. Of course, Sam only picked it for DeGrom, but we will (laughs) go through everybody. Um, And so the way we're going to do this is we're going to say the team. Sam and I are each going to say who we picked. Um, And if it warrants a little bit of discussion. Well, let's just pick back and forth. Let's not both give a pick. 
Oh, so we're we're not both gonna pick uh, each position. Yeah, yeah. I see. Okay. And I'll give you I'll give you the first pick because I would like to draft someone with the second pick. Okay. <laughs> well, I, uh, with the first pick, I think the Nats should have taken Christian Yelich. Yeah, and that's who I would have taken there yeah. too. Uh, of course, they did take Bryce Harper. Yeah. Uh, Christian Yelich did go twenty uh, third in this draft uh, to the to the Marlins. Uh, so yeah, Yelich, you know, MVP in twenty eighteen. Arguably could have been the MVP last year. You know, he's one of the top... He's the top three player top in baseball. Three, three player in baseball right now. I think that is a slam dunk number yeah. one pick here. I think number two, you can start to argue over who you're going to have there. I, of course, am taking Jacob DeGrom. So congratulations, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. You you took Jameson Tyon, uh, <laughs> who, who uh, you know, has not quite lived up to, yeah. to the billing of the number two pick. You, you instead get the back-to-back Cy Young winner, arguably the best pitcher in baseball. And, of course, the Mets took Jacob deGrom in the ninth round of this draft. Mm-hmm. So just incredible job by the Mets scouting department, considering deGrom didn't start pitching until the end of his sophomore year of college and really didn't start till his junior year. Right. But they, you know, they saw the type of athlete he was, saw how fast he was developing, and, and they got him in the ninth round. And, this, and, and, and people like deGrom are an example of, of why, how short-sighted it is that the owners are trying to cut, cut exactly. the draft off. Exactly. Uh, I mean... I also have DeGrom in the two-spot. Um, for three, uh, I actually have the Orioles still taking Manny Machado here. That's, that's what I would have done as well. Yeah, yeah. good fake, good guy. Uh, who do you got at four? At four, I have the Royals taking uh, Chris Sale. Interesting. He, he went uh, 13th in this draft uh, to the White Sox. And, and arguably, Chris Sale has actually amassed more value over his career as a pitcher than, than Jacob DeGrom even has. Yeah, you can uh, so, so, like, yeah, I, I think there are some injury concerns at this point of Chris Sale's uh, career. But I think since he's entered the league, he's been a top three or five pitcher. And, you know, I, 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 I'm I not ready to declare Chris Sale over. Like, I could easily see a comeback. Yeah. I mean, I know he's he's got the Tommy John now, but, like... Yeah, I think Chris Sale has been a you know a tremendous pitcher in this league, and really just the value he's already generated, right. I think, justifies the pick. Yeah, I don't hate that. I actually have Sale at five for the Indians. I had Harper at four. Yeah, um, and so I assume you probably have Harper at five. That's right. Yeah. So we just flipped those. Um, Sam has the Royals getting Sale and the Indians getting Harper. I have it vice versa. The seven are my backs. Um, and six, I, six are the backs. Yeah, sorry. Six, six are the backs. Oh, okay. Take it, take it. I'm Wait, say oh, no. I get, I'm picking. Just like just like this year, the Mets picked one pick after the That's D-backs. right. Exactly and right. Yeah, damn, I'm drafting for D-backs. You're drafting for the Mets. Um, so I gave the D-backs Angleton Simmons. That's a good pick. So Angleton Simmons, I mean, I think there are some other guys who you could argue behind them who have been better bats. But, but I mean, he is... A once-in-a-generation defensive player. We've talked about that so many times on this podcast. The, the, the type of value he's been able to generate with his glove is just otherworldly. And honestly, you know, if he keeps doing this, he could be some sneaky guy who plays till he's 40 and could be like a borderline Hall of Famer. Uh, so, so Simmons went uh, second. Uh, he went in the second round of this draft. Yeah, he went pretty late. Um, I actually had uh, them taking JT Real Muto, who had one, 104 overall in this draft. I, I don't hate the Simmons pick at all, but you know I think they've gotten close to as much defensive value from Nick Ahmed over the last couple of years, and Real Muto's a game changer to have, so I had them. At seven, I have the Mets taking a guy who they actually ended up with, and that's Noah Syndergaard. 
Yeah, so Noah Syndergaard, a, a great pitcher. I actually, you know, the Mets have been begging for a catcher uh, for a while. I actually didn't go with Real Muto as my first catcher off the board. I went with uh, Yasmani Grandal, who I think's been, I think, arguably the best catcher in the game now. It's between him and Real Muto. Grandal's been doing it for a couple more years than Real Muto has. He's also a bit older now. Um but yeah, I, I, I went with Grandal, but I think it's splitting hairs between those two. Right, and so just a little background here. The Mets originally took Matt Harvey here, interestingly enough. Um, I have Grandal going at eight, where the Astros originally took Delino DeShields Jr. Um, Grandal originally went 12 to the Reds, but I think he's a good fit for the Astros. Yeah, and I actually went Romulo at eight, so, yeah. so we just flipped those Makes guys. Sense. Um, so then the Padres originally took Karsten Whitson, whoever that is, at nine. I think they should have taken James Paxton. I, so I, I still have Syndergaard on the board here, and that's mm-hmm. where I, where I took him off. So you still haven't taken Simmons, Anderson Simmons? I have not, no. Yeah, okay. But I promise I'll take him soon. At 10, the A's originally took Michael Choice. Who did you have them take? I had them take Adam Eden, who Ooh. I think has been a really a really good player in the league for a while. Just gives value with the glove, gives value with the bat. You know, he's been an all-star level player for for, for a bunch of seasons in his career. Yeah. And and I this this is where I took Adam Eden. I think that's a reasonable pick. Who, who went in the 19th round in the Yeah, he went round. really yeah. late. I think that's a reasonable pick, um, but I actually take Eddie Rosario here. Wow. Um, I think that he is a player who has been very good the last few seasons and is only continuing to improve. He originally went 135th right after James Paxton, basically. Um, So I have the A's grabbing a power bat here in Rosario. And with 11, the Blue Jays finally get your man in Angleton Simmons. I see. And and the Blue Jays originally took Deck McGuire, so really anyone is going to be an upgrade for them. Anyone would be good. You're gonna be mad at me for this one. What's that? I put I had the Blue Jays taking the Dark Knight Matt Harvey. I'm not that mad about. And, that. And, and here's the reason. I mean, Matt Har- obviously now we think of Matt Harvey as a guy who's literally played himself right. out of the league. He's been a disaster. But in 2013, Matt Harvey was quite literally the best pitcher in baseball before he got injured. And in 2015, he wasn't the best pitcher in baseball, but we're talking about a top 10 pitcher who is a big, big part of the Mets making a World Series run. So I understand saying, like, as a when it comes to like a whole career, Matt Harvey didn't get didn't have like a great career. But when it comes to his peak, he's maybe maybe like one of the highest guys on. Yeah, team. absolutely. And so, so, so that's why I have him up there at eleven. I take him pretty high too, uh, but not that high. And I'll explain my reasoning when we get there. Um, so at twelve, the Reds originally took Yasmani Grandal and should have hung on to him. Um, but instead, I have them getting someone they'd still be happy with, and that's Nick Castellanos. Ah, okay. I actually, and this, you, you might consider this to be a bit of a reach, but I have them taking uh, Kevin Kiermeyer. No, I don't. You'll be yeah. surprised to hear why I have them next year. Yeah, that's so, reasonable. So, so Kevin Kiermeyer, you know, maybe after Andrelton Simmons has been the best fielder in the league yeah. over this last decade. Just so much value in the outfield for the Rays. Not an incredible hitter, but a, but a good hitter. A decent, a, a decent hitter. And this is a guy who went in the 31st round of the original 2010 draft. So, so this is what we're saying. Again, like, there's so much value to be found in the later rounds of these drafts. Yeah. And to that point, actually, at 13, I have the White Sox taking Whit Merrifield, who was the 269th overall pick. 
I have him going 13. Of course, the Sox would be disappointed since they originally took Chris Sale yeah. here, but they got to deal with me uh, drafting with perfect hindsight. Yeah, and, and at 13, I finally had uh, James Paxton coming off the board here. There so, you yeah, go. Yeah, Paxton, great pitcher in this league. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly don't fault you for, for putting him ahead of Matt Harvey as far as pitchers come in this draft. He's certainly, I think, going to end up having a better career, but I don't think he's ever quite been at Harvey's peak. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, very few have yeah. been at Harvey's peak. Um, at 14, I have the Brewers taking Robbie Ray, another guy here who was a pretty immediate impact for a team that made the playoffs in 2011. Um, yeah, and they they originally took Dylan Covey with this pick. Right. Um, Who some people still think will be good, but I think yeah. his time is up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I almost didn't realize that he was drafted in 2010. Yeah, he seems yeah. so young because <laughs> yeah. everyone's always like, this is Dylan Covey's year. And in fairness, he was drafted out of high school, but still, yeah. like, he... I, don't know. I, I took Whit Merrifield with that pick. Okay, that's so, a good pick. Yeah. So then at 15, I do take Matt Harvey because the Rangers were in this playoff stretch. Oh, yeah, they could have used it. They could have really used his 2010, 2011, 2000, or sorry, 2011, 2012 seasons. Um, and so this is well, a perfect, 12, 12 is his rookie. 12 is his rookie season, so 12. 13. 12 and 13. Yeah. This is a perfect pick for the Rangers in my eyes. Matt Harvey slides in nicely there. Uh, at 15, and, and the Rangers took Jake Skoll with the 15th so pick. Anyone so, so again, better. anyone. Uh, I took Jock Peterson with this pick. Uh, wow. Went in the 11th round of the draft. Uh, but, I, you know, you, you've, you've take, already taken a guy like Nicholas Castellanos. Like, I think Jock Peterson's a better player. Really? Yeah. Oh, no way. Jock Peterson's a platoon bat. Castellanos is like a top 20 bat in the league, I think. But we don't need to cry about that. Um, At 16, I finally have the Cubs taking Kiermaier. Uh, I think he could have gone higher, but you just can't pass up a glove like that if you know what he's going to play. Yeah, so the Cubs, they originally took uh, Hagen Simpson. Uh, Anyone. Yeah. Anyone else. I took uh, Drew Pomeranz with this pick. Who was originally the the number five pick in the draft? Um, Pomeranz, you know, had a stretch where he was legitimately a great starter, and I think he had a half season stretch where he was legitimately. Yeah, let's say let's say one season, but I think he's in the process of transitioning to becoming an elite reliever in this league. I can see that. We we saw this at the at sort of the second half of last season. So if if I sort of buy that transition, then I really like Pomeranz's value. You know, sort of. A lot of years as as a as a good innings either you know maybe one season half a season as an elite starter mm-hmm. and now moving into the elite reliever role I think that could translate into a really nice career. So I want to preface this next pick with by saying that if this were really happening right now, like if each major league team could take these players from uh, their respective teams, and I were the Rays, I would not pick the person I'm about to say. They originally picked Josh Sale. Um, who cares? I wanted to do this because it was fun. I have the Rays taking Michael Lorenzen because they are the organization who can make him that two-way player. If Michael Lorenzen had come up with the Rays, would he be a serviceable starter plus an outfielder three days a week? We don't know. He's the only player in the bigs outside of Shohei Otani who I've seen who could realistically do it. And the Rays are the team to let him do it, so I thought it'd be fun to throw him in there. That, that's interesting. I I went with Robbie Ray in this pick. Yeah, that's, who, who that's you've already picked. Money. Uh, good, good. You know, just a good starter Solid with the D-backs. Starter, yeah. uh, and originally a twelfth rounder too. Right. Um, so with the eighteenth pick, the Angels originally took Caleb Cower. This is where I ended up going with Eddie Rosario, who 
I guess I don't value as much as you. I mean, I think I see him as a guy that's had one good season. Uh, we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see if he builds upon that. He's had two consecutive good seasons. I he was I, honestly he was actually like very good in 2018 and like decent last year. Okay, yeah. But but yeah, you know, originally a fourth fourth rounder. Uh, you know, I I think he's a good player, but I think I think sort of I'd rather have all the guys I took before. Yeah, uh, that's fair. And here I take Adam Eaton, so I think it just kind of speaks to. Well, uh, I, I think you really underrated Adam Eaton. Adam Eaton is a guy who consistently gets underrated, but he's also a guy who provides value that's not game-changing. No offense to him. He's a really solid piece to have on your team, but he's not like a game-changing talent. And also, he appears to be pretty brutal for a lot of people. Adam Eaton fetched like Lucas Giolito. Yeah, yeah. Like like teams value him in the league. Yeah, that's definitely true. So yeah, I may be undervalued. I mean, obviously, he's worth more than Michael Lorenzen. That was just kind of a throwaway yeah. pick. But you could definitely argue that he deserved it above Robbie Ray. Um, I'm not sure I'd throw him any higher than that. But um, with that said, who did you have the Astros taking at 19? Uh, Braves, right? Sorry, the Braves. Uh, so the Braves originally took Mike Fultonavich at 19, and I still have them taking Mike Fultonavich at 19. Well, sorry, it's actually, it's the Astros taking the Braves' compensation pick. Oh, but the Braves, I mean, Fultonavich is on the Braves, so they must have, like, the Braves got the pick. Oh, sorry, the Braves taking the Astros' compensation pick, vice versa, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, so Fultonavich, a guy who in 2018 was an all-star, had an absolutely disastrous start to the 2019 season, went down to the minors, but then came back up. And really looks sort of like that pitcher he was in 2018 again. So if he can continue that form into 2020, we're talking about like a a good pitcher in this league. And also it was fun. You know, I thought Boltonavich was sort of should have been in in this range, and I kind of just wanted to put him on the same yeah. team. Um, but no, the Astros did take Boltonavich here. Um, this was the Astros pick, and uh, I approve of your pick because I have him coming soon, but I have the Astros taking Aaron Sanchez here um, because we've seen what they already yeah, did with him. If the Astros took him, how did he end up on the Braves? Uh, I don't <laughs> actually know that off the top of my head, but I can tell you. Um, Fulton Evich to Braves in a Nevin Gaddis trade. <laughs> That's so Alright. Uh, Fulton Evich and Rio Ruiz and Andrew Thurman for Gaddis and James Hoyt. Uh, so... Astros somehow lost that one. But um, so I have them taking Aaron Sanchez because we saw what he could do. And Aaron Sanchez also, don't forget, has uh, two all star seasons under his belt and what has been a very good pitcher at times in this league. Um, so he, you could even argue, fell a little bit here. Who do you have the Red Sox taking at 20, Sam? Uh, yeah, and the, and the Red Sox originally took Colburn Vitek. Um, I, this is when I finally you went took, to Ball State. Ball State, baby. Really? Yeah. This is when I took finally took Nicholas Castellanos, who That's I, I so love. who I clearly don't don't like as much as you. So I, I mean, we're we're talking about you know one one good season and not one good and, season, and, and he's he's honestly so bad in the field that like he, he is, doesn't really even play that much. He is so so bad in the field. But Sam, he's been above one ten WRC plus every year since two thousand sixteen, and he's been essentially one twenty for three of those four years. Yeah, but he's losing like. 12 runs in the field every Sure, day. he's a trash can in the field, but, um, you know, I sent him to the Reds where they could uh, send him to an American League team for some value. 
So at uh, 20, I finally have Jock Peterson going off the board. I think this 20, is really... 21, you mean, to the Twins? No, to the Red Sox. I have Jock oh, Peterson. Oh, okay. You yeah, started sure, that. Sure, sure. I have Jock Peterson coming off the board. I think this is kind of actually where he belongs in the skill list here. I, I I just don't understand how you think Nicholas Castellanos is so much better than Jock Peterson. Um, at 21, uh, so at 21, the Twins originally took Alex Wimmers. I took uh, Corey Dickerson here, mm-hmm. originally an eighth rounder to the Rockies. And I took Fulte, who originally went 19 to the Astros. Um, so then 22, uh, the Rangers originally took Kellen Deglin. Huge stud. And Massive stud out of uh, Mountain Secondary School in Canada. That'll show you, Rangers. Don't draft Canadians. <laughs> That's How many... Uh, is he like the first Canadian to be drafted in the first round or something? It's possible. It's definitely possible, yeah. Um, so I, this is... Here I gave the Rangers uh, Jamison Tyon, who was originally the number two pick in this draft. Uh, he, he was really starting to put together like a decent career. Uh, it's it sort of fell apart last year, but I yeah. think I think uh, I think the fielding independent pitching liked him a bit better, and I, I think he's a decent pitcher. I think he's a decent pitcher too, but I have them taking Evan Gaddis here again because of like the urgency thing that the Rangers had. Um, and Gaddis was a guy who went from bagging groceries to hitting bing-bongs in, like, eight months, so... Originally I, a 23rd rounder. Yes, originally, like, uh, the afterthought. Wow, so you, so you had a Fulte and Gaddis back-to-back picks, and then they were trading for each other. Yeah, interestingly enough, I did. Um, and then at 23, I have the Marlins taking Corey Dickerson. Of course, the Marlins originally took Christian Yellis. Yeah, so this so pick. anyone they get is going to be a big downgrade. Huge disappointment, especially Corey Dickerson, yeah. who, by the way, is a current Marlin for this upcoming season. Yeah, so I took uh, Cole Calhoun here. Uh, sure, I take Calhoun with the next pick. Yeah, so it, also an eighth rounder, p- taking four picks after Corey Dickerson in the actual draft. Yeah, so so really quite close to each other. Um, so as I mentioned, with twenty four, I have the Giants taking Cole Calhoun. They originally took Gary Brown out of Cal State Fullerton. He played a sum total of zero major league innings. Yeah, and this is where I ended up taking Aaron Sanchez, who you took a bit earlier. Yeah. Sanchez, you know, showed it for one year and then sort of quickly stopped showing it. So I I still think he's got the talent to, like, have some good future seasons in the majors. And, you know, I was optimistic when the Astros got him last year. Like, Mm -hmm. if anyone can can take the raw talent and make him into a good pitcher. Right. but it, didn't, it also didn't go that well with the Astros, so I think that's why I dropped him a bit lower than you had him. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, with 25, I have the Cardinals taking Kevin Gossman. This is a guy who I think... Did you already pick I, him? I don't think Gossman ended up signing in this draft. Oh, I did I cheat too? Let me, let me see. Uh, yes, I'm sorry. I did do a big cheat here. Gossman was originally drafted 202 by the Dodgers, but he didn't go, so... Um, I will just move everybody up one, um, and I because I picked thirty one and thirty two to be safe. So I will actually have the Cardinals taking Mark Canna here. Okay, I I have uh, I have Canna going at twenty six. Uh, Canna having really under really under under, uh, under the radar great season for the A's yeah. last year, which was really out of nowhere. But like yeah. honestly, I don't care. It's enough it, to let me take it. It, down it was here. probably one of the best seasons like. Of people, like, past the 20th pick. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I went with Drew Smiley at 25. Uh, you mentioned that the Cardinals took Zach Cox originally with this pick. Drew Smiley originally went in the second round at the, with the 68th pick. There's still major league players that you haven't drafted yet. Why are you taking Drew Smiley? I, Drew, 
Well, like, yeah, he's, you know, he's sort of been out of the league for a couple of years because of injuries. But, like, Drew Smiley was a solid innings eater for, for a few years for the Tigers. Like, I like Drew Smiley. I am super suspect of that pick, Sam. I mean, as he's never thrown more than 170 innings, and he only did that once. Um, for the Tigers, he actually never threw more than 18 innings in a season, so I've got a lot of question marks about the reporting there. But I will admit that I took Drew Smiley every year on my fantasy team from 2014 to 2017, always believing that he was going to be great, and he only did it one year for me. So I don't hate that pick, but for me, like the next guy I have off the board is Tommy Canley, who the Rockies would have been thrilled to have in their bullpen any season since 2010. Um, he's, I understand why he didn't get drafted until much, much later in this draft, because who takes, you know, we won 175 overall, who takes a reliever out of Lynn University, but what we've known is that he's been a good reliever in the majors. Yeah, so this was to the Rockies? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they originally took Kyle Parker. This is where I took Mark Canna, who was originally a seventh rounder. Yeah. And then the Phillies, who originally took Jesse Bedell here, um, who is still hanging around the league as well. Um, I have them taking Drew Pomeranz, because I agree that he definitely deserves still to be taken in the first round of this draft. Uh, I took Derek Dietrich here. Uh, yeah, that's I just, I just think he's a fun player. Like, maybe, maybe he doesn't deserve to go, but I, I like Derek He's Dietrich. got the steps, that's yeah. for sure. So the Dodgers originally took Zach Lee, which uh, we refer to as the proverbial swing and a miss in draft term. Although yeah. Zach Lee was like, I, I think I was actually at Zach Lee's major league debut, which was really nuts. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. Um, I have them going with a guy who also hasn't been super exciting, but we are getting down to the to the itty bitty of this. Um, I have them taking Taiwan Walker. This is a guy who I would have loved to see the D backs keep this year, and I think is still going to be a good pitcher in the bigs, but has just not been able to stay healthy. I also took Taiwan Walker. Here. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah. Um, who'd you have the Angels take? Um, we're going to do these back to back because the Angels ended up with both twenty nine and thirty. In this draft, so uh, it doesn't matter who took who. Uh, so. Yeah, so I went um, with these two picks. I went Jimmy Nelson. Yeah, that's fair. Who is sort of had a really, really good 2018 season and then a, a kind of a bad 2019 season, but I, I still like I like Nelson. I still like him. Like I, I see him possibly having good seasons in the future. And then with the with the last pick, I went Evan Gaddis, who you know you you already took. You know, many rounds earlier. Originally, eight picks. Yeah, sorry, eight eight picks earlier. Um, Yeah, good bat in the league for a few years. Won the World Series. Yeah, sure. Twenty third, twenty third round originally. So uh, ended up, you know, way way higher up. So I have the Angels taking Jamison Tyone with twenty nine and Delano DeShields Jr. with thirty. I love to show Jr. He's not a major leaker. Yeah, and I... <laughs> You're giving me shit for taking Drew Smiley. Well, De- okay, so here's what happened. <laughs> Delano DeShield Jr. was not on my list. Um, but because I had to get rid of Gossman due to our rules, I then slided... I just slid everyone up, and so he ended up up there. But if I were really thinking about it, I would still maybe have them take Blake Trinan or Jimmy Nelson over Delano or the Shields. I they, think Blake Trinan was also did not sign this round. Right. So then I guess, <laughs> I, yeah, Jimmy Nelson's the better pick here for them. I'm just reading you what I have on the sheet. Um, but they need pitching every year, and so they should honestly only be taking pitchers. They should have no position players in their farm system anymore until they can feel the reasonable rotation again. Yeah, they should just have Mike Trout play every position. And just to sum this up, um, the Angels originally took Cam Bedrosian with the 29th pick and um, Chevy Clark with the 30th pick. Obviously, Bedrosian's still pitching. 
Um, but uh, besides for a brief stint in 2017, I believe when he was pretty decent, he's been pretty brittle. So um, that's the overall breakdown. Um, we're not going to go through them again because that would take a while. But what we will do is post uh, some screenshots on our Twitter so you guys can compare. And uh, please let us know who did this draft correctly. Um, I know it was me, but of course we'd love to hear our viewers yeah, tell us. I'm not sure about that. The the the, the devaluing of Adam Eaton really offended me. All right. Well, I'd love to hear some Adam Eaton stands in our mentions telling us why I'm wrong. Um, so thank you guys so much for joining us again. Uh, we loved having you here. We'll be back next week with another great episode and hopefully a start date for the MLB season. We'll have That'd to see. That would be great, yeah. Um, and with that, we're going to sign off. Uh, for your hosts, I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. That's all, folks.